Do you believe that we are at a crossroads between the online world and the offline world? Well, that is the theme of today's episode. Hi, I'm Jamie Sletsky and the host of the Music Teachers Expand Online podcast. Today, I have an amazing conversation with our amazing guest, Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, and she runs the Speakeasy Cooperative, which is an online, a vibrant community for mostly voice teachers, but she really has her finger on the pulse when it comes to online and offline and music education as a whole. This is a fantastic conversation that I think is going to help kick off your next school year. Or if you're listening at any other time, this is just going to help you with a reset. And I know it's a valuable conversation for you to tune into. There is so much more to teaching music online than just your lesson. There is a mindset shift from teacher to business owner. There is a how do I want to teach? Who do I want to teach? Where do I want to teach? A hundred million questions like, and I know that this conversation is going to get you thinking seriously and brilliantly so that you can make the impact that you desire. So let's get into this conversation with Michelle. Michelle, finally, I have you here on the Expand Online Podcast. I am so excited for this conversation. Before we hit record, we already came up with things that are so valuable for the listener right now as we are beginning the 2022-2023 school year and teaching environment. I mean, I think it is a really great time to be having this conversation because you just know so much about what teachers are doing, what they're trying to do, what they've put into the back burner or on the back burner or brought forward and all of that stuff. And I think that the word that you use best is that we are at a crossroads. So let's kind of start with we're at a crossroads in the teaching space and like where that takes us. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about this crossroads that we were discussing was, okay, you've got online music education. Where is it now? What are we doing with it? And the reason why I was saying it's a crossroads is because the pandemic has really challenged people's identities as teachers mm-hmm. and it's challenged students' identities as singers, guitarists, pianists, cellists, bassoonists, right? Whatever. Right. So what does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean to be a student? And what are those modalities that are effective? Right. Dare I say convenient? I use that term lightly, more like fits well into the ecosystem of the life of the person, right? So not necessarily convenient, like easy, but convenient as in a good fit to the lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think now people are becoming more and more clear about what space they enjoy, yes, what space they feel they're most effective in, and what space confronts their preconceived notions. Oh, yes. 
Yes. So you we, and I, we like to push the box. Like we would like to push the edges of the box as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, this is the Expand Online podcast. I expect yeah. the listeners to be wanting to do something online. But it doesn't mean that you can't do things in a way that suits you and your personality and your students best, you might have, like I talked about this in a podcast episode back in August mm. about, you know, having multiple revenue streams. Oh yeah, You can have one online revenue stream and everything else be offline. You can have everything be online, except for that one thing that you want to do offline. And it can be, you know, all or nothing in either way. And the other thing is expanding online doesn't even have to involve the education side. It could be your booking, your scheduling, your billing, and like all of the back end student management could be online and everything else could be offline. There's a million ways to go. And so when we were kind of talking about where are things at and what are we observing, I want to go there. Like, yeah. what are we really observing teachers who, you know, are 10 plus years into teaching after having spent a couple of years online out of necessity, what they're kind of feeling and, you know, where they're saying yes to online still versus not and those kinds of things. So I think there's a couple of things. I think that the pandemic threw a lot of people in the deep end of the pool. Mm -hmm. And some of them, some people, and this is both students and teachers, but we'll focus on teachers since that's probably who's listening. Some of the people were like, oh, this water's great. I had no idea that I would be able to swim so freely. And then you have the group of teachers who is still like trying to keep their head above the water. I think the biggest change I've seen is the adoption of online scheduling and online bill pay. Mm -hmm. There's so many, I mean, gosh, talk about, well, also in online kind of video content of lessons, but just so many kind of schedulers are now in competition for mm -hmm. any service-based business. So the service-based business scheduling industry is hot like fire right now. And watching those, some of those schedulers are like niching and targeting music mm -hmm. studios. Some of them are just like, hey, we want to be as robust as possible to serve a wider community. But I would say for expanding online, that is definitely a thing that happened because now that you're not in person, right? Someone can't just hand you a check. It's like, how are you going to get paid? Right? Right. So that's the biggest thing. And then, of course, the video content and low latency, not low latency, <laughs> uh, dual cameras, multiple cameras doing multiple things. I mean, even now we're recording on Zencaster where I record with Zoom, I record with Zencaster, I record with um, how many podcasts have I been on? So many different ways to record the podcast, right? Yes. So I do think that teachers, now that they have tasted that for their one-on-one -on -one lessons, some of them have decided they do not like it and they just want to go back to in-person. Yep. And some of them are like, oh, not only do I like this, but I want to do this like all the time. Right. Yeah. Like I prefer this. Mm -hmm. And then you have, of course, the hybrid. So 
some people, whether location is the reason why some people are online, some people are in person, or using online at to reduce reschedules and cancels and all of those kinds of things, right? Oh, you don't feel perfect. That's fine. We'll just switch to online, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do feel like there's no, no one is like apathetic about this. Totally. <laughs> there's no like, there's no ambivalence, right? There's just like, I hate online or, oh my gosh, I love online. Yes. And that's what I find so fascinating. The other thing that I find really interesting is how the market is pushing people to either be in person or online. And it is literally being online is becoming a unique value proposition. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's being a no thank you. Right. Right. I mean, I know even here locally, we live, you know, 15 minutes from the downtown area of the city. Yeah. And so many people are like, I only want in person. Can you come to my house? As I said, we're 15 minutes depending on traffic, because there's always traffic. Always. So when someone says that, no, but I offer online, and these are all the reasons why online is beneficial, is now can be turned into a value proposition. It can be turned into the benefit of these are all the reasons why your student's going to excel or you're going to excel as a student in an online space. And I think that it's really important as teachers to really understand who you're serving, why you're serving them, how you're serving them, where you're serving them, all of that. Because when you're working with teenagers, you're going to have different needs than if you're working with young kids. If you're working with young kids versus working with you know, school-age kids, if you're working with adults who are retired versus adults who are working, you have different needs and different value propositions to help them see whatever way you want to go. You know, if you're working with an adult who works full-time, they're going to be all about your online scheduler and online bill pay and all of that stuff, but they may want that in-person connection because maybe they're working remotely right now. And so that's where I really feel like we're at a crossroads is because like there are so many people who are still working remotely and are going to stay remote at least like 60, 70% of the time that their music journey is something that they want to do in person because they don't have connection with others outside of that. So let's kind of like switch over into like, how do we know? I guess it's kind of like, okay, so there is obviously what you want to do as a teacher. Mm -hmm. There's also what does the market allow and those kinds of things. Like just like, how do we say we're going to be the best teacher we can be in this upcoming year with this new landscape? I think the first step is deciding what you want and why you're even doing any of this in the first place. I think a lot of teachers fall into teaching. Not every teacher. I certainly chose teaching as a career very early on. In fact, I went and I became a performer because way back in the morning, uh, (laughs) (laughs) mumbling on purpose, are we? (laughs) No, you know, way back when I was deciding what I was going to do, there was no such thing as a vocal ped degree. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to go be a performer and then you would become a teacher. So like I went and I focused on performing so that I could become a teacher. 
And thankfully, I was able to start my teaching career very early because I just got tired of a lot of things. But that being said, I think people don't actually know what they want or their list is very vague. I want more money Mm -hmm. and I want more time. Amazing. I would love that for you. What does that look like? What does that actually mean? What do you want money for? What mm-hmm. are you spending money on? What do you not have money for that you wish you did? And then what about your time? What do you mean you want more time? Do you want more time to rest? Do you want more time to create? Do you want more time with your family? Do you want more time alone? Because all of this is going to help you determine what your business model looks like and what your business structure looks like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if I want more time alone, then switching all of my students to a modality that brings them in during the day and then my family is home at night, that's not alone time, (laughs) (laughs) right? Right. Or something like that. And I think that's when we ask what we want our life to look like, our daily life to look like, Mm -hmm. so that we can make decisions about the revenue streams that we're choosing And where online could or could not fit into that. So can I go into, can I just take us rogue and talk about online courses for a minute? Yes, but you have to know that that is one of my favorite, favorite things to help my students and my clients do. And I have my own thoughts. So I might jump in here. I'm just warning you. (laughs) I might jump in. (laughs) No, well, I expect you to because I know this is your bailiwick. So This is one of the things that I get very concerned about with the online space is that online course curriculum is different than one-on-one modality, and it is different than in-person teaching, even in a group. Mm -hmm. And this is why I want to know what people want their lives to look like. Because as you know, when you're developing online course content, you cannot develop it out of a sense of what you perceive is important for the market to know as it will not sell. You (laughs) cannot develop this content based on push marketing. Right. Oh, I think we're on the same soapbox. (laughs) But the reason the reason why I bring it up is because we are talking about where one of those crossroads is. And I really think that one of the things people are really asking themselves is what kind of air quotes passive income can I create? Oh, I'll do an online course. And then I'm like, great, where's your audience? Who's your audience? And what have they asked for? What are the questions you get over and over again that can solve this problem so that as soon as someone asks it, you can be like, I have a nap for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. But continually when I'm working with clients, people come to me and they say, I want to develop an online course. I ask them, great, who's it for? What questions is, is the audience asking? And they tell me they have no audience a very small audience. And they're like, oh, no, 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 people aren't asking for this. This is just something that I see as a need in the market. This does not work in 2022 with online content because people are so over push marketing. So for people listening who don't understand what push marketing is, it's just a term for when something is created and then you push clients into it. So for example, toothpaste, we made this toothpaste. Look at how amazing the toothpaste is. And you push people toward this toothpaste because the toothpaste was created. A perfect example of push marketing is Crest White Strips. Nobody cared about white teeth until Crest decided everybody should care about white teeth, (laughs) created white strips, and then literally saturated the market with the marketing and the product. 
Yep. And then all of a sudden people cared. Right. And now it's a thing. Chances are someone who is owning a micro business, which most of the people listening are, I consider a micro business something that's making less than $500,000 a year and has one employee up to five employees. A nano business, in my opinion, is a business that's six figures or under. Most people who run nano businesses and micro businesses do not have the weight of a corporation to push market into who they're trying to sell to. Oh, that is such a good point. That is something that is so, so valuable. We have to instead, and I know you're going to go there, we have to go to the pull marketing, which is like the the opposite of push of what do you want? What do you need? What do I have in my wheelhouse that's going to fill a hole that you have? And the best way to do that is to ask your audience and to survey people and to bring people into the fold. One of the things that I always say about courses is that a course that works best is something that you really want to teach to your students, but you run out of time for every single time, or something that your students are asking for that you cannot fit into lessons, and you know that it's going to help them with that immediate goal that they have next. Either one of them, things that you know that they need in order to succeed, or something that they're asking for in order to get where they want to be. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to think about it. I think the reason why this feels also like a crossroads issue for me is because it brings up sales and marketing <laughs> in a way that I think that the pandemic has re well, I not think I know the pandemic has shifted the way that people buy mm-hmm. and it shifts the way that we sell. And I get really concerned in the music space because I'm seeing a lot of like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to do all of this. And I'm like, this marketing is like so 2019 and it does not, it's not honest and it doesn't work. Yes. It works to get people into the container of a program, but then people wind up not being able to fulfill program obligations. I mean, I have so many clients who will come into Speakeasy or to come to work with me privately and I'll be like, great, what did you already do? And they're like, I've already done this program and this program, this program. I'm like, awesome, great. What were the outcomes of that? And they're like, nothing. This person didn't actually help me. I just wasted my money. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So this goes in, the reason why, so for me, 30,000 foot view, the reason why this is all connected is because I think there's a responsibility that is the thing that we have not talked about yet at the crossroad. So if you come to that T in the crossroad and you're making the decision, what's going to be online, what's going to be in person, there is a big old stop sign at all three of those points. And in that intersection, you have to say, what are my responsibilities when I choose turning right or turning left. Mm -hmm. And I do not think that we have done a good job of incorporating people who were not online business people and then got thrown in the deep end of the pool Mm -hmm. into the new and emerging culture of online business. Yes. I think that this is kind of taking us exactly where I thought we were going to end up, where a music teacher isn't just a music teacher. When you are 
online and doing things in this new way and you're pushing the boundaries a little bit, you have to look at yourself as a studio owner, as a business owner, as somebody who is making decisions, not just for the students, but also for what you represent. I mean, back in the day, I'm thinking of the piano teachers who, you know, who taught my next door neighbors in in the 80s. You know, that was just what they did. They came to your house with their little book, you know, book bag, and they brought the right books, and you had your books, and you sat down, and you did your thing, and you walked away, and the mom gave them a check. And that was that. that. And then how did they get their next student? Word of mouth. That mom said, hey, my kids are using, are having this, have this teacher. You should look into this teacher. Or mom might say, I need a new teacher for my kids. And who do they ask? They ask the PTA or at the time it was the PTA. It wasn't the PTSA. We're going to not even go there. But, you know, like they would ask in the community. Now that we're online, our community isn't connected. It isn't cohesive. It isn't that whole, I'll scratch your back when you scratch mine kind of thing. And so we're in this place where we have to spend the time making sure that we're not just getting that next student. We're not just teaching that next lesson, that we are doing things Every single time we say yes to something that we're going to do in our business that is moving the business forward and keeping it in alignment with what you were saying of like, where do you want, what do you want to accomplish? You want more money? You want more time? What do you want them for? Like, I mean, we, we have to really be the business owner who teaches an amazing lesson or amazing course or an amazing whatever it is that you teach and however you do that. So What you do is super important because it's part of who you are, but it's the small part. Yeah, for years, right? For years. You know, I think people come by it honestly. The reality is, is there's music is a very traumatic place to have a career. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, and I don't use that word lightly. You know, I think that musicians of all sorts are conditioned to find such identity in their art that when they become teachers, their identity becomes centered on the teaching. And this can make it really difficult to expand online. You know, this can make (laughs) it really difficult to expand your definition of teaching, of your definition of learning, your philosophy of teaching. And it can be very confrontive because if you've had success in one modality in person for years and years and years and years, and you have to adjust your pedagogy and adjust your process in order to fit technology that doesn't allow for the energy and literally the energy of what happens in a room when two people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's science behind this around how brains work differently, how we communicate differently when we are in person versus online. So I think that this idea of like removing identity from the work that you do, and placing it into the ownership of the business can be very, very helpful to answer the questions about, what am I going to do next now that it is an option to be a little bit online and a little bit in person? 
getting stuck in one identity is a really good way to not make either the money or the time that you say that you want. Mm -hmm. When we develop identity, what we're doing is we're developing adjectives and verbs that go with that identity. And when we stray from those adjectives and verbs, then we start feeling like we're losing our identity instead of expanding into growth and change and learning to become a different version or a newer version. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm 100% on board with this idea of you are a business owner first and the, you do the business of teaching and then you are a skilled communicator. You are a skilled teacher. You are skilled at that. But if you can shift your identity to business owner, it will be much easier for you to make the decisions that you need to make, create the things you want to create, choose the software that you need to choose, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and choose which revenue streams, if you do have, if you do want more than one revenue stream, you know, choose which revenue streams are really the best for your business, mm -hmm. you know. And because you are your business, most of the time, that also means that it will be best for you. Absolutely. So, you know, like coming back to where we kind of started this, of being at this crossroads, you're a very good observer. You see what people are doing and you see how they're shifting and modifying their business as we've explored going back to in-person and stuff. Where would you say, I mean, I know we talked about scheduling and billing, but where would you say people are gravitating toward right now? Like, where do you see there being renewed growth and renewed excitement? Because I think that a lot of times we fall back into what is comfortable. But I'm curious to hear from you where you see excitement and where you see people are so like optimistic about the opportunities in that space. Well, I got to be honest with you. I think we're in a little bit of, thank God the pandemic is over season. I really think the excitement is about getting back in person. Mm -hmm. I really do. I see it everywhere. This, the students are ready for it. The teachers are ready for it. You know, there's something about making music live and in person that we missed. So I think there's going to be a season and it might be next year. 22, 20, you know, the end of 22, 23, where people are kind of doubling down on in-person stuff and kind of having online things be either hybrid options where you're sick, you know, kind of using it as a tool, mm -hmm. but not like building an entire business on necessarily. I really do think there's going to be kind of a lull and then and then I think it's going to explode again, because what's going to happen is people are going to go heavy hard into on person again, being excited and that same kind of burnout, that same kind of emotional energy, that same kind of feelings that people got in 20, any time before March 2020, right? Right. Are going to rear their ugly heads and they're going to be like, oh, right. This is why I was trying to slow down in the first place, because I think what the pandemic did that we're not talking about a lot, because it can be very hurtful and the memories are very hurtful, is like people went from like full studios to nothing. Right. You know, because they just weren't getting online quickly enough or whatever. And because the business models weren't there to support kind of a recurring revenue stream, it was kind of like a perfect storm. 
right? So we had a lot of people lose their business completely. But the gift that that gave us was as we're rebuilding, we're more mindful of like what our allostatic load is, you know, our emotional load. Mm -hmm. And I think people who like push hard into the in-person, they're going to come one, come all. They're going to realize that doesn't work. And then we're going to see that kind of lull again. And then people are going to go back. I think people will start doing more subscription-based. That's hybrid. So for example, here are these videos that you can watch on the flip side or before our lesson. And then we're going to have a shorter in-person time together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think the direction will be that there'll be multiple revenue streams where you're using one set of core content. And then having different levels of touch around that core content. So there'll be like a self-guided version and then like a low touch coaching version and then a really high intensive touch coaching version. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think people are going to start creating their own libraries and not necessarily courses. And that will become part of a subscription offer. Yep. I'm already seeing Seco is like I, you know. The Speakeasy Cooperative is Seco. Sorry. I'm like, your listeners don't know who I am. Oh, yes, um, they do. They do. Who I, am. <laughs> but, um, I mean, tons of people are doing that right now. They're already kind of in that. Here's an option for you. It's an add on or, you know, it's a library kind of thing. Yeah, that's actually where I think a lot of teachers are going right now is to create their own intellectual property, mm -hmm. create something that they can use with their students, however they interact with their students. And that's something that I am really excited we kind of got to, because how amazing is it for you to say, okay, we're going to use this worksheet or this audio file or things like that, that I created, and we don't have to use the big named books anymore. Um, yeah, those might be part of it, but you actually have things that people are like, yeah, so I learned this thing from my teacher and my teacher made it up. I mean, like, it's just so cool. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun though, Jamie. I mean, come no, on. no, but it's, but it's a new lens, you know, and you know, sure, so, sure. Yeah. And I just think that having, having things put in the order that you want to work them. As a teacher, you want to work things maybe one, three, eight, two, four. Yeah. And you don't want to do five and six or and seven for that matter. You just like you're able to structure things. And people have done this for a long time. They've had three or four different method books or different like Sure, sure. Yeah. It's like that. And they're like, okay, we're going to do this, that, whatever. But then all of a sudden you've put it in a way that it becomes chronological because you put your own stamp on it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you bring up a really good point too about one of those, you know, we talked about the intersection of like, what are your responsibilities? And I think for one on people who have generally had the modality of one-to-one -one teaching, rarely, not all, some people totally are into this. So I'm, I'm this, I understand I'm about to make a very sweeping statement. But rarely do one-on-one -on -one teaching modalities encourage or invest in learning curricula development. And I think that's probably something I'm personally excited about in the online space is that one-on-one -on -one teachers are now having their feet held to fire around curriculum development. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to develop 
a curriculum Mm -hmm. because that's what all these online courses are. That's what an online course is. It is curricula. What is the goal of the class? What are the modules that are going to get us to that goal? What is any homework that is necessary for learning the thing? Exercises, all of that. 100%. Yes. Right? But if you have never explored curriculum development and you don't really know what that is, then I encourage you to do that because this is where you will learn where you need to grow. Just ask someone to put together an online course. Just be like, okay, I want you to put your entire teaching philosophy. It's going to be a six-hour course. Go for it. (laughs) You know, ask them to do that. And the look of blankness on their faces is a good, you know, you can listen to that. You can listen to that. Holy moly, I don't know how to do that if you're the teacher. Listen to that voice that's like, I don't know how to do that. Because what it tells you is you do have something that you can teach, but you haven't learned how to put it into a curriculum. You haven't learned how to divide it up. Mm-hmm. And what I think why that's exciting for me that one-on-one teaching modalities are having to learn this is because that means that the overall education of the music student early on, pre-formal education, is going to get better. Mm -hmm. It's going to be higher quality. I'm not saying that systematizing all education is a great idea. In fact, for many music modalities, it's very silly to do a kind learning environment of systemic learning. That There's tons of research and science about the difference between kind learning and wicked learning. But it's that's something that I get excited about because the teachers then get clear and you can use that information to help market. (laughs) You are clear about what you do, how you do it, the results that this thing brings, the container that it's in. Mm -hmm. There's your copy. There's your messaging and there's your copy right there. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to pretend like you're doing something you don't know how to do. There's no sleaziness. When you can point to directives and say, this is what I do, this is how I know it works, and this is the container I can deliver it on. Oh, my goodness. Nice, tidy bow that you just tied right there for the listeners. I think that this is kind of a good spot for us to to wrap up the conversation, and I like to make the podcast actionable. So I'm going to ask you to share what you think a teacher who's just finished listening to us talk for 35 minutes should think about next or how they might want to look at what they're doing so that they can decide where they're going to go and how the 2022-2023 school year is going to support them and like how they're going to be best supported by their business. Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who hung out because we went on quite an adventure in all (laughs) sorts of different little trails today. And so thanks for hanging out. I want you to think deeply about how you want to feel every day you wake up and every day you go to bed. So instead of asking, what do I want my 2022, 2023 to look like? I want you to sit down and I just want you to write from morning to night. What is your every day, your average day look like? When are you waking up? How are you doing breakfast? Are you having some coffee on the balcony? Or are you (laughs) sitting at the table? Are you getting your kids ready and then going to work? 
Are you creating? Are you spending some alone time reading and ideating and taking notes? Are you doing some admin work and then you're seeing having your client hours? Like what does that basic everyday look like? And then because based on the feelings that you want to have, feelings of completion, feelings of moving forward, feelings of success, perhaps that's up to you. And then ask, where can I push the boundary? Where can I confront myself just a little bit and allow just a little bit of discomfort so that I can move into the next area of growth in myself and therefore in my business? And one of those things will probably be some sort of online additive, even if it's something small like the scheduling and the payment gateway. Mm -hmm. But it might be something really big like a downloadables library of worksheets mm-hmm. or some videos or a full-on online course. Right. So what do you really want? And if you are a female listening to this, femme, female, I want to encourage you. This might be hard because culturally we are conditioned to not want outside of the needs of other people. Whenever I ask female femme business owners, what do you want? I almost always get an answer that is tied to another person. (laughs) So I want you especially to think about what do you want without having that be tied to another person's happiness or needs? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is intense, but it is amazing. And please do this exercise, do this work. You don't listen to the podcast for just entertainment purposes. You have a very successful business now or you're on the cusp of it. And let's take it to a place where you can fully realize that. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the Expand Online podcast today. Are you kidding me? Thanks for having me. It's been, like you said, finally. And like I just said, do yourself a favor, take action. There is no progress without action taking. So do that now. If you have any feedback for me on this episode, send me a DM over on Instagram. I'm at Jamie Slutsky or book a call with me by going to callwithjamie.com. 